And welcome to the Shepherding Talk podcast. My name is Aaron Kimple. Great to have you with us. In a changing culture, what we need are leaders who understand the times. That's a phrase from 1 Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 32. This is part two of a discussion that I had with Max Dawson on leadership in a changing culture. Hope you enjoy it. And good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Monday Night Bible Study hosted by the Dallin Road Church of Christ. My name is Aaron Kimple, and I have Max Dawson with us tonight. He's one of our shepherds here at the Dallin Road Congregation. We're going to continue where we left off last week as we looked at leadership and cultural change. If you have any questions, feel free to share those on the Facebook page, and we'll do our best to, to answer those. How are you doing, Max? I'm doing uh, very well, and it's uh, good to see you, my friend. Absolutely. So what are we going to be talking about tonight? Why don't you give us a, a quick summary? Well, last week we talked about cultural change and the problems that it presents, and particularly the problem of online church uh, declining attendance in churches across the board, whether it's Catholic, Protestant, yeah. or even among God's people uh, in local churches today. Attendance is declining. And we look at uh, the online the fact that people have live streams that they can now view, that has acerbated that problem. Coming out of COVID, uh, churches have lost 20 to 30% of their membership, not just in attendance, but lost members that will that are not coming back. And so those are some of the problems that we saw. And we point people back to last week's webcast, where we just talk about the cultural change itself. But tonight, we want to talk about how to respond to cultural change. Yeah, and, and and the part of any <clears throat> part of any good uh, solution is to to correctly assess the problem, and so as as we're doing this, we're trying to properly diagnose it so that we can uh, address it with the proper solutions. And so um, let's go ahead and get into it, Max. So just just get rolling. Okay. Well, let me first say that the solutions are going to have to do with our methods and means by which we teach. Mm -hmm. They have nothing to do with the message. The message is constant. The gospel cannot be changed. It has been the same for 2,000 years. And we want to preach today the old Jerusalem gospel that was preached from the, from the very beginning. But uh, Aaron, almost everywhere I go, I talk to preachers and elders who are experiencing the same thing. People who attend church are attending less often, and the which is part of the reason for that. And sometimes People get mad. Leaders get mad. They can rant and rave, but it's not going to help anything. Uh, if all people do is condemn those who are not showing up, or if they just say, you should be doing better, you should be attending all the services. When they do show up, if that's all they're getting, you know, you should be doing better. Why would they keep coming? Mm -hmm. uh, like it or not, people do not respond to guilt and used to points that we made last week. And if you're trying to guilt people into coming to worship, ironically, you will wind up with fewer people in attendance and more. Uh, fact is, fewer and fewer Americans everywhere. There are fewer who feel guilty when they miss a Sunday. Uh, I think I mentioned last that when I was growing up as a boy in the 1950s, almost everybody that I knew went to church on Sunday. That's just what people did. Uh, they had a natural instinct to worship on the first day of the week, but that's gone. Uh, we talk about people who miss church only when they can't get there, but people don't feel like that any longer. People can stay home and feel perfectly fine about it. Uh, and then you just got 
the what I call the rise of the nuns. In fact, uh, men like George Barna have done a, a tremendous amount of research on that. The nuns are those who have no religious affiliation, and uh, they're oftentimes not interested in learning about religion. And so they're not part of a church of any kind, and they don't seem to care. And in our culture today, fewer and fewer people worship services. And uh, the, the future is not going to be any better. So the question is, how do we respond to these changes? And what I want to present this evening are seven things that we can do in order to help correct the problem. That's, that's where we're going tonight. And the first thing I want to mention is that we need to create a powerful online presence. Online is where folks go to learn about church. And it's critical that you have a website and that you have a good website. Maybe the most important point to be made here is to understand that the website, your website is the front door to your church. People will typically check out your website before they will come to your building. Now, we can get people uh, to become interested by our personal invitations to people. We give them recommendation cards. We say, come and see, come and learn about Dallin Road Church. But before people come, they're going to go to DallinRoad.com and they're going to see something about what we have there. It used to be Yellow Pages. When people were looking for a church in the community, they went to the Yellow Pages. Today, online. And someone says, well, we never had a website in the 1990s and we were doing okay. But we don't live in the 1990s. We live today. Right. And we live with the conditions that today brings. And I, I like to use the example of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20 and verse 20. He said, uh, I have kept back nothing that was profitable to you. I have taught you publicly and from house to house. People would use, uh, Paul would use whatever was available, whatever resources right. he had to teach people. So he taught people in the public square. He taught in public meetings. In Acts chapter 17, there at the Areopagus, there was a place to speak publicly. Paul used places like that, but he also used private studies from house to house. He church assemblies. The point that I'm making is that, like Paul, we need to use every means available to teach others. And so a good online presence, a good website is important. But it's more than just having a website. A web page is critical, but there are other ways to stay connected with people. There's Instagram, which a lot of young people now use uh, for to connect with one another. Old people, people like me, they use Facebook. There's also Twitter, email, podcast, webcast, like we're doing this evening. And then there's also uh, various apps and blogs that you can connect with online. Uh, I put out an email twice a week. On Thursdays, I put out one, leaders, which is a journal that promotes excellence in leaders, talking about church leadership. Then I put out one on Mondays called Pontiac's Points and Proverbs. And, you know, old Max is a car guy. I've been a <laughs> car guy all my life, ever since I can remember. I've loved cars. Uh, I've had I've had 40-some cars, I guess, in my lifetime. Uh, but I love cars, and I love car stories. So what I do on Monday with the Pontiac's Points and Proverbs uh, blog, I write stories about cars, typically about cars that I've owned or car experiences that I've had. But there's also always a moral or spiritual lesson about the cars uh, that I write about. And uh, by the way, if people 
uh, would like to join my email uh, blog that I do on that, uh, MD, like my initials, MD1944 at AOL.com, and I will add them to my email list. Uh, someone says you're still with AOL. Yeah, I'm old school. I've been with AOL now for 30 years. Uh, but that's one of the ways that I used to stay in contact with people to get mm -hmm. messages out. It's a way of teaching. And so young people, they use Instagram. Older people use Facebook. There's Twitter. There's all these things. There's also a powerful online program called Congregate. And it can help you uh, contact and track members and you know what we do we do a lot of complaining about online about online options and how that people are staying away from services mm -hmm. by watching services online but instead of complaining we need to leverage those to our advantage and i know that in the past we got along without online options but today culture has changed and we need to change with it remember the message never 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 changes the message is always the same we preach the old jerusalem gospel jesus is king jesus is our high priest and lord we preach jesus and him crucified never change the message but our methods have to change and online is critical remember your page is the front door to your church yeah i can imagine uh paul saying well if stone tablets were good enough for moses they're good enough for me right <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's what Paul would not say, but that's right. the way some of our brethren speak. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, uh, but yeah, I, um, I, I, uh, so yeah, those, those are the kind of comments that, that sometimes people make is we're like, well, we're changing the gospel. No, we're not changing the gospel. We're changing how we communicate it in the same way. Paul took advantage of Roman roads, Roman ships, parchment, whatever it is, you know, at his time and his day, uh, he took it, uh, papyrus. He took advantage of what was available at his day and his time. That's that's what we're trying to do. The message hasn't changed. In fact, Max, I did I did one thing one time when we got our um, our first projector in Ohio. Uh, just as a side point, um, what I did is I I I grabbed some sand, and I wrote in, in a in a little container, and I wrote Matthew twenty eight. 18 through 20, just, just those letters, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I, I then took a whiteboard, wrote Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then on one side, I took an old school uh, the projector where you put the little transparencies on it. And I put that on one wall, you know, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I pulled down the chalkboard, Matthew 28. What I did was to illustrate, it hasn't changed. Then I threw it up on the screen, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. The message hasn't changed. It's just how we transmit it, how we communicate it has changed, but the message hasn't changed. Well, that's a that's a powerful illustration. And instead of complaining about modern technology, we need to leverage was to our advantage. That's the yeah. point that we make. That's one of the responses we make to cultural change. Right. Absolutely. So uh, as as we uh as we uh, work on that, um just a side point and I won't make too much of this, but as brethren, we got to remember that um, uh, Facebook and social media is not the way to address our problems with each other. Uh, we have to remember that we're out there to shine us lights, including what we post uh, as individuals and as congregations, and we're not there to shock. 
We're not there to cause controversy because it won't get settled on Facebook. So we need to remember that if we're going to have a, a presence online, it needs to be one that's promoting Christ and not ourselves, that is promoting the truth and not controversy. Uh, I mean, Paul warned Titus and Timothy about stirring up controversy and the problems that that causes, the strife that it causes, and that it will that it will lead to other sins. I mean, and we have to remember that's that's amplified by social media. So as we have our online presence, we need to keep that in mind. Well, yeah, uh, you know, in our in in some of our studies that you and I've done, we've talked about how one another and how that we more. In fact, uh, before we went online uh, this evening, I was asking you about your preaching. I think you've been preaching for about 25 years or so. Mm -hmm. I've been preaching for a little over 50, 53 years. And I don't think there's ever been a time in my preaching life that I haven't preached about Jesus. And the more we adapt the character of Jesus, the more we will be what what God wants us to be. I One of my favorite verses, Romans 8, 29, and Right in the middle of that text, it says that God's plan for us is to be conformed to his son. And that's what I've been preaching for 53 years. And sometimes people say, well, you know, the real answer to our problems today is not to preach about authority or not to preach about the church. Let's just preach about the lordship of Jesus. Well, I've been preaching the lordship of Jesus 50 some years. And what does that mean? of Jesus. Jesus is Lord. He's King. He's our captain. Uh, he is our master. And that means that we have to recognize his authority. And sometimes people say, stop preaching on authority, preach the Lordship of Jesus. That is authority. And right. when we preach, when we preach the Lordship of Jesus, we have to preach how Jesus communicates to us and how he, how he directs us. There's so much about that. Yeah. But, you know, I, I agree with you that sometimes the things we say and do online just should not be said and should not be done. We hurt churches. We hurt people. We hurt our relationships. We hurt our influence in the community. Let's, let's be what God wants us to be. And, uh, and you know, if there's error out there and someone teaches error, what do we do? We have to answer the error. And if that error has to be answered online, then so be it. You know, mm -hmm. you do not let error go unchecked or unopposed. If error is taught by someone, I will have to respond to it. Yeah. So as we move into the next point, uh, we're, we're going to talk about uh, elevating personal relationships. So, well, th that's right, Aaron. And in the early church, personal relationships were critical to the well-being of the saints. If you would take a look at Acts chapter two, uh, read those verses, Acts two, verses 44 to 46, please. Okay. <clears throat> Acts chapter 2, verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. What do you see in that? You see relationship there. That's right. There's no relationship were critical toward the well-being of those saints. I, I think what you read there in Acts chapter 2, verse 44 and following, is an expression of the loving relationships that those early Christians enjoyed. I was thinking about Romans chapter 12 and verse 9 and following. It says, let love be without hypocrisy. What is evil? Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. 
in honor, giving preference to one another. Uh, verse 13 said, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Those verses are just dripping with love. And, you know, we have to have more in our assemblies than just showing up and getting our ticket punched. And, and, and I don't think most Christians look at worship assemblies like that. But sometimes we see Christians who just say, hey, I came to services. What more do you expect? Well, God, God wants more than you just showing up at services. Uh, I, I want to say something about the online church. The online church uh, has a there's a lot of benefit uh, to having the live streaming. Uh, we've mentioned in other discussions that we've had how that uh, Dallin Road was one of the first churches to go online uh, with a live stream. That was in 2009. We had people all across the country who were joining us, people who were in hospitals, people on sick beds and nursing homes, and people who could not get out of their homes. And as valuable as that was, we even had uh, some conversions that came from our online presence, the live stream. Yeah, personal relationships. You cannot do with personal relationships online what you can do in person. Uh, this is one of the ways that we're going to overcome and address the cultural changes taking place. Churches must place a high value on personal relationships. Those churches then to attend people who value personal connection. And we nearly all value and personal connections. It's a fundamental human need. And we we use at Dallin Road small groups uh, to get together. Uh, there are lots of resources that you can uh, get for how to run a small group. But I will say this, that uh, churches that elevate personal relationships can overcome some of the cultural change. And one of the things that I sometimes talk to people about, you know, would you watch the Super Bowl online? Or would you rather be there present with all those people at the Super Bowl? I mm -hmm. think, uh, you know, there you interact with the other people around you uh, in a way that you interact when you're just sitting there in your living room with a bag of chips or nachos or whatever. Uh, it's it's different in person. Right. And those personal relationships where you interact with one another, uh, you know, a few a few months ago, uh, Lee and I were both ill on a given Sunday, not be present at worship. And so we joined the online, the live stream, but it wasn't like being there. You know, there's something mm -hmm. that happens in person that can never be reproduced online. That's and right. so personal relationships are critically important, and we need to value those. Yeah, and you know what we're seeing with you know the small groups, Max, and and how the the shepherds, how you have uh, arranged those. You know what we're seeing uh, on these little, whether it's a marriage study, one of our groups, we had a, a marriage study for six weeks, and what we saw was a hunger and 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 a desire not only for improvement in marriage but for togetherness. And there was like, you know, after those six weeks were over, we were like, oh man, there's like a sadness because like, wow, we really want to be together. So uh, I think there's a lot of people who are hungering for it. 
Um, and I think that's where we just need to continue to find ways to tap into that to that need which God created us to have. I mean, that's something that's unchanging. The word is unchanging, and our need for connection is unchanging because God wired us that way. Um, you know, just kind of like a cell phone that, you know, when I'm out, you know, when you're out in the boonies and you can't get a signal, your battery will drain for trying to get a signal. And that's kind of us, right? We're, we have a need for connection because we're created that way. Well, you have an important point. Uh, personal relationships, we need to hold in the high esteem, elevate personal relationships. And that means, uh, well, at Dallin Road, what it means is we are family. Uh, mm -hmm. We, uh, for a long time, uh, for almost four decades, we have really promoted the family concept, and the church is God's family, so we shouldn't be surprised at that. But I, I, I know, I, I remember one man years ago, he said, I don't like this family idea. Just call it mm -hmm. the church. Don't call, don't call Dallin Road, don't speak of the Dallin Road family. We don't like that. Well, I think a lot of people do like that, and that's one of the reasons that people have gravitated toward Dallin Road because we are, we indeed are family at Dallin. I Road. guess he would. I guess that person wouldn't have liked Ephesians three, right? <laughs> the whole family in heaven on earth is named. You know, we're uh, so we think about the family. Uh, this church is called a family, and sure. uh, so yeah, whether we like it or not, that's what it is. Yeah, and family, whether people realize it or not, is actually now where it takes several people and puts them together and treats them as one and so we are that collectivity the church with collective now by the way well as part of that and the third thing i want to say and how we're how we respond to cultural change is to love people love people in the church and love people out of the church uh, Christians are called upon to love one another, to love God, to love people. And God, of course, loved people. John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So that's what we need to do. And one of the things that we need to promote is that leaders in the local church must create a culture of love. We love one another. That's the people in the church. But we also love the alien, the person who's outside of the church. Uh, we, we love the Christian and we love the non-Christian and, you know, for love to really be love, it has to be expressed in act verse 18. John said this, and let me slide over to that verse in first John chapter three and verse 18, uh, John, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And his point there, this verse, verse is actually elliptical. It's the idea, let us not love merely word or in tongue. Let us love primarily indeed and in truth. So words are not enough. It's not enough to say, I love you. We have to express that in action. And, uh, you know, we talk about the story of the Good Samaritan, uh, Luke chapter 10. And I, whether people are familiar with that or not, Luke chapter 10, verse 29 and following tells the story of that Good Samaritan. Here's a person who loved people that were different from himself. And so we love people who are different than ourselves. We love the people who are outside the church. And it's hard to love people if you're not with people. Uh, mm -hmm. Human relationships go to their deepest level in person, not online. There's some that happens when we gather together and we are with one another that just doesn't happen online. And did you know, Aaron, that 40 people who marry today first meet online? 
Wow. <laughs> That's where, and, and we have seen that. We've had people in our congregation who first met online. But you know what people do after they first meet online? They somehow find a way to get together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so they, they're in person with one another. They don't stay with the online. And so uh, we've got to have this powerful online presence because it provides a way for people to meet the Dallin Road Church. And if they are, if they hear the gospel and they see the value of being together, then even though they might meet us online, we hope they will meet us in person. Love can be expressed online. But fulfillment happens through personal contact. Effective leaders who understand the culture, they know that, and they leverage that. That means they value personal contact. They value interaction because something happens in the assembly that cannot happen online. Yeah, that's right, as God designed it. So, yeah, once you move on to your next point about creating a wonderful worship service. Yeah, well, there's something happens, and this is the point I was just gravitating toward. Something happens when you're in the room together that cannot happen online. People need to get something in the assembly that they can't get online. Mm -hmm. And I used the illustration of a few minutes ago about, would you rather watch the Super Bowl in your home, or would you rather watch it in person at the event? Uh, What if you've got a name your name your entertainer uh carrie underwood would you rather watch her on your screen on your computer would you rather carrie underwood concert and you know there's something that happens when you're at the concert that doesn't happen when you're just watching on the screen as much as you might love the singer and love the song something happens when you're with other people in the room it's the way worship services are so uh, we need to realize that the church when we come together is more than the sum of all of its parts. Yeah, we look at the preaching, that's part of it. We look at the singing, that's part of it. The Lord's Supper, that's part of it. But doing that together produces something that cannot be found online. All of worship needs to be done at the very highest level. Uh, what I'm saying is good enough is not good enough. We need to strive for excellence in everything we do. Uh, sometimes people come together and they have very boring and lifeless services. And, you know, the, the most typical opening line of a, of a Sunday morning worship service is, well, the clock on the wall says it's about time for us to get. So here we are. Uh, okay. Let me read a list of people who are not here today, who are sick or traveling. And they will sometimes do five minutes minutes of opening talk like that and my there are other ways better ways to communicate that right. what do we think church bulletins are? what do we think our projection screens are for put your sick list up there the people who uh, other announcements put all that stuff on that screen so you don't have to open your service with a whole bunch of announcements that just send people off into, uh, into, uh, well, sometimes people just fall asleep in the announcements. If they fall asleep during the announcements, how are the, how's the rest of the worship going to go? Mm-hmm. We, we need to do, we need to do our very best for God. We serve an excellent God, uh, and we need to strive for excellence in everything we do. A church where anything goes, doesn't go. 
everyone doesn't have to get every man doesn't have to get his turn at leading singing every man mm. doesn't have to have to get his turn at at preaching uh poorly led poorly executed worship does not cut it in our time it simply does not cut it our god deserves better oh lord our lord how excellent is your name in all the earth our god is an excellent god that's psalm 8 verse 1 we serve the excellent god and he deserves our our best and so what i'm saying is leaders need to understand the value of a wonderful worship service where we have lively singing, where we don't have someone droning on with a bunch of announcements. Uh, and someone says, well, you don't care about people if you don't announce every little thing. And uh, Aunt Tilly's second cousin uh, knew someone who had uh, last week and on and on and on it goes. Um, that's not why people come together. Uh, and all those things, if, if, Tilly's got something that needs to be mentioned. Put that in your update, but don't don't hurt your worship service uh, with that. Effective leaders understand the value of a wonderful worship service. And listen, the more wonderful that worship service is in person, the more wonderful it will appear online. And those online people say, hey, I want to be there with those people. I want to sing with them. I want to be with them in their uh, I want to study the Bible with those people. I want to remember the Lord's death with those people. And so the, the more wonderful your worship service is in person, the better it will look online and the more people will want to be there in person. Again, I'm going to go back to Carrie Underwood. Would you rather see her on your screen or be with her in the concert? That's the question. And the, to ask that question is to answer it. Right. So as we, yeah, I mean, you're, you're thinking about that idea of excellence, you know, and I know that you and others had uh, written a book about that. Uh, I just remember personally um, Christians in other places scoffing at that, you know, well, that's just perfectionism. Um, when I was trying to teach that particular book and, and it's like, it's not about per perfectionism. It's about glorifying and honoring God. And like you said, when, when everybody gets a turn at, let's say leading songs and people aren't, equipped to do that you know first of all what are we saying to our god when we just kind of throw mediocre worship out there i mean but but also what are we saying to our guests what are we saying to our congregation to our young people when we just throw out mediocre worship half-hearted uh, uh, kind of worship where we just kind of all just do our part everybody gets to do everything kind of thing uh, what is that saying but we don't we, we don't really care about our worship to our father in heaven and that sends a loud message, Max, a loud message, as you know. No, not at all. I wanted, want people just to do what is excellent. Uh, yeah. That's what God expects of us, our very best. Why would we give God less than our best? I, yeah. I don't understand that thinking. I know. Absolutely. Okay. So your next point is to create a culture of serving. Well, Online church doesn't provide much in the way of service, serving opportunities. Uh, serving God and serving others makes us feel really, uh, it, it, it makes us feel the reality of part of something bigger than ourselves. And so leaders look for ways to grow servants, equipping people to serve. Uh, I, I mentioned in an earlier lesson that we did not long ago from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and following. And let me let me just read a part of that. 
Ephesians 4.11. It says Jesus gave, uh, it's talking about when Jesus ascended back to heaven, Jesus gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Why, why did he give these teaching ministries? It was for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry in order that the body of Christ might be built up. This was done till it says we do this till we all come to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature. It's about serving, isn't it? It's about being like Jesus and learning to serve like Jesus. And and it goes on to say in in verse number sixteen of Ephesians four, from whom whole body joined and knit together by whatever joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And so as leaders, as shepherds, preachers, Bible as teachers, we're looking for ways to grow servants, to equip people to serve. And, and here, these are two things that every church must do. There's a dual culture that we must create within local churches a culture of evangelism, and a culture of service. We are about serving God and serving one another. We are about winning lost souls. And let me just briefly address some areas of service that can be identified uh, when we come together. Uh, a week or so ago, I think you presented a lesson on uh, about serving, about uh, being engaged in the work of God. Uh, but uh, Think of think of areas of service outside your gathering. Uh, there's a home a home study maybe you could host, visiting the sick. Uh, I think last week it was uh, there was a sister in our congregation had her 100th birthday. She's in a nursing home, and we made a big deal out of that. Several Christians went there and visited her, took birthday cards, sang songs. All those are areas of service found outside your gatherings, but we need to think about our gatherings also, about serving in Bible classes, about preparing the communion, uh, making sure our, we have young boys at uh, Dallin Road who stand at the back of the auditorium uh, when people are coming in with the communion trays, people pick up their little communion kits. Uh, you know, these some of these are 15, 16, 17-year-old boys. They are servants of God in doing that. Uh, there's so much that is done in the assembly and out of the assembly, ways with, that we can serve. I think about the sister who opens her home on a Sunday evening after service, hosting a small group Bible study in her home, or maybe a family that on Tuesday night have a small meeting in their home. Those are all areas of service, and it is critical, critical that we have people who serve. So we need to make serving others as a prime directive in the assembly and out of the assembly. We need to serve, and we need to serve and do it well. Yeah, and and connecting the idea of equipping from Ephesians four and the serving, uh, that's what I see some of our our ladies doing here uh, at Dowlin is uh, they're preparing younger women to teach in the classes and bringing them alongside of them and saying, hey, some of these high school students, let's let's have you in uh, those young ladies to help teach the the younger classes, train you how to do it, and uh, call, bring also how do you how do you have a make a casserole for somebody who's in need and need you know, need some attention? Well, here's how you can make that meal. I'll show you how to do it. Do it with you, and then we're going to go deliver it and visit with that person. And uh, so it's combining that 
doing it, but also training others to do it and see the value and not to mention having that connection with a shut-in or someone who is sick. I mean, it's just good, good, good all the way around. Yeah, this is a win-win win and more win situation <laughs> when that's the case. You know, we yes. have w- one of our young ladies, uh, a lady who I, I guess is maybe in her thirties. I'm not sure how old she is, but she does a thing on a regular basis before Sunday evening service of getting uh, the young girls together. I'm talking about young girls that might be as young as eight or nine years old, uh, mm-hmm. 15 years old, 16 years old. And and she's teaching them about how to teach Bible classes, how to help the elderly, how to do all these things. And really this, this culture of serving uh, that we're trying to cultivate at Dallin Road, this makes personal relationships that we mentioned earlier. It's a people in the church, loving people, outside the church. It's just about being what God wants us to be. And so creating this culture of serving is really critically important uh, that we do that. And there's so many ways to do that. Uh, but let's do that to the very best degree that we can. And online, online worship doesn't, doesn't do much in that regard. Uh, so the idea of being together, working and encouraging one another to serve is valuable. And at the same time, when we talk about those young men who pass out the communion, standing at the back of the auditorium as people come in, those young girls that are being trained uh, in uh, by our people at Dallin Road, that prioritizes young people. Critical, critical thing. Uh, we need to prioritize young people, let them know how valuable they are and their potential, what they can do in the local church. We do that with our young kids. Last uh, two weeks ago, I guess it was on a Sunday evening before services, we had a 4.30 default before the five o'clock service. And we had young boys as young as eight years old doing that little Devo where they would lead some songs, teach a short lesson and say prayers, uh, just uh, kind of the things that we as adults do. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's valuable. Churches are failing with their young people because leaders do not prioritize young people. And just important that we do that. And I know that you've been uh, very much involved in helping our young people in that much more than I have. But it's, it's a blessing, and, and that we can always grow in that. There's always more we can do. I, I really like some of the things that are being done now, like, for instance, what you're talking about, one of our sisters and, and several of our sisters who are doing to help, is it's it's teaching them engagement. And I know we're talking about that, but it's teaching the young people engagement. It's it's not just learning to do something. It's learning to to do it, but but to be connected with people while we're doing it. And that that is... Um, that is a part that sometimes is lacking because we can teach evidences all day long or, or teach people things they need to know. But I think sometimes our young people are not connected as they need to be and engaged as they need to be. And then, and then it's easier for them to fall away later. So it's so important for us to keep them engaged. Yeah. And another way we can keep kids engaged is uh, to have devos for young people. And I will tell you at Dallin road, we virtually shut down our devos through, through COVID and that's something we need to that we yeah. need as part of our future. That devos for young people are a powerful tool to keep kids. Uh, one of the reasons church decline is that they lose more than fifty percent of their young people. And the devo at someone's house after Sunday evening services. Let me tell you something that it does it puts another voice 
before the kids, prompting them to follow God. If uh, some uh, older couple in the church, say they're 50, 60 years old, they say, hey, we're going to invite the high school kids over to our house Sunday night after service, going to have pizza, going to talk about our relationship with God. We're going to encourage the young people. Let me tell you what that does. The kids are hearing from their parents. They hear from their parents. They ought to serve God. They ought to avoid the temptations of this world. They hear that from their Bible class teacher and servers or elders. They're just people in the church. Invite those kids over on Sunday evening, and they encourage those kids to serve Jesus. That's a fourth voice now that they hear Mm -hmm. that is prompting them to follow God. I think that is extremely valuable. And of course, our Bible classes, our Bible classes with, with their interaction, those things can't be produced in the online world. The online world presents a lesson to you. You either accept it or you don't. But the effective Bible classes, and listen, having great kids' Bible classes are important. Sometimes parents may be slacking off, maybe not attending Bible classes. But if you've got great classes for the kids, the kids say, hey, we need to go to, we need to, go to Bible class Wednesday night. We need to go there Sunday morning. Why? Because I love my Bible class. I love the people. Mm -hmm. I love my teacher. I love the lessons. Kids miss out when their parents miss services. And if there are parents listening tonight and you're on attending Bible class and you've got kids, you are, you're causing your kids to miss something important, but those classes need to be something special. Let's make our kids Bible classes, something special and that's that's just so valuable when parents miss church the kids are the biggest losers the more leaders prioritize families the more leaders prioritize the kids and the families the more the families will prioritize worship services Aaron. well oh, amen amen so um and again so as we think about the next point as we as we continue to move on creating a culture of peace that's something that you you put here on your last point. And uh, I, I know you're passionate about that, but why is that so important? Well, I, I want to express this point on creating a culture of peace. You know, we, we said we need to create a culture of evangelism, a culture of love, but a culture of peace. And I want to express that in a positive way because the other side of that coin is ugly, negative, and destructive. There are fundamentally five reasons why churches decline. And Brother uh, David Banning and I, and I'm borrowing some of this from David, we have done a study. We've done studies over the years as to why churches decline. One, they do little or no evangelism. Churches talk evangelism, but for many of it's just talk. Two, we lose most of our young people, and not much is being done to save our kids. And so we've got to create a culture that prioritizes kids. Three, we fail to recognize the cultural changes that are taking place all around us. And that's the reason why we're doing these two lessons last Monday night and tonight. We've got to recognize culture and then respond biblically to that. But number four, we often fail to develop the next generation of leaders. And if we don't plan to equip the next generation, Uh, then we're hurting our own future and we're going to become victims of the future and find ourselves lacking good leaders. But number five, brethren fight and argue and tear pieces and destroy unity. I have seen it in churches. 
I have seen it in churches that I've been a part of. I've seen it in other churches. Churches sometimes ask me to come in and just look at what they're doing, look at what's going on in the church, and to assess where they are. I say, you guys, you guys, sometimes I have to say that you are tearing yourselves apart within because you're fighting and arguing over matters of judgment, not over matters of right and wrong, no, not over matters of faith, but you're tearing yourselves apart over people wanting to get their own. Oh, and you're hurting one another. And, and leaders need to learn the value of James chapter three. And let, mm. let me just slip over there very quickly and just read a few verses from James chapter three and starting at verse 13, uh, James three, 13, who is an understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Wisdom is meek, the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy, self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. If that's when you're in your heart, you're going to hurt things. This wisdom that has self-seeking and bitter envy does not descend from above. It is earthly, it is sensual, it is demonic. For where e where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace, Leaders create a value, uh, a culture of peace. They value peace, uh, not an artificial peace where we overlook sin and error, but a mm -hmm. genuine peace based on the truth of God's word, based on the love of Jesus, based on the love of one another, based on the love of God. We must believe in peace and unity based on truth. Did Jesus say, <laughs> he said, sanctify them through the truth. Your word is truth. And he said, he went on to say that was John 17, 17 and John chapter 17 and verse 20. Listen to this, what Jesus said about, about unity. He said, I do not pray for these, these apostles alone, but for those who will believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, that the apostles be one and those who believe in him be one as you father are in me and I in you that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Do you get that? Mm -hmm. Be one in us. The idea of unity among God's people is a prerequisite to effective evangelism. And when God's people are divided, ripping one another to shreds in a local congregation, envy, self-seeking, you're not able to teach the world. Uh, the world says, hey, you guys don't have anything better than we have. We're fighting and arguing out here in the world. And you guys are doing the same thing within your church. So yeah. much of the infighting among brethren has nothing to do with truth, but with matters of judgment. Stop the infighting. Stand for truth, but stop the infighting. We're mm -hmm. going to give account for division and discord that we create. And I think sometimes people are blind to that. I want yeah. my way. And if I don't get my way, I'm going to cause trouble in this church. Maybe no one says that out loud, but it's being said in their mind. I'm going to my way in this church. Stop the backbiting. Stop the gossip. Stop the questioning of motives. Stop the judgmental spirit. Uh, James chapter four, and let me slip back to James again. I, I'm sorry to run back and forth on that. But James chapter four, verses 11 and 12. I want you to see this text. And then heed the warning. James 4, beginning at verse number 11. 
It says, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you are a judge of the law, then you're, a, you're not a doer, but a judge. There's one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge another? And sometimes that judgmental spirit within a local church that is damaging. This is a frightening text. We need to heed the warning. And and I say to brethren, and I, and I do this when I go and do leadership weekends with the church, that if you are that brother that is that is constantly causing trouble in a men's business meeting or constantly badgering the elders because you're not getting your way, you need to stop it. You will give account on the day of judgment. Leaders need to promote a culture of peace. They know when to compromise and when not. We never compromise the truth of the gospel, but on matters of judgment, we can compromise there. And so yeah. I, that that is just so important that if if we want people who are out there in the world fighting with one another, if we want them to come into the church, we cannot be a congregation that's constantly uh, having infighting within the local church. I know it happens sometimes in the early among the early Christians but they were told to be at peace That's and right. uh, to stop the infighting. That's just critical and important. Yeah. And uh, that, as we said earlier, that's amplified on social media. Um, and so we have to remember that because, you know, we can sit behind a phone or a computer or a tablet or something and, and just fire at one another. Um, of course it happens at in the church building too, in our homes. Um, but we just have to remember that wherever we are, um, that the world will believe in Jesus when we behave like we should, you know, and like you said, you go into churches, uh, and, and give that assessment. I think James three, I call it relationship CSI max, uh, whether that's a marriage or a church or anything, you know, you go into a, a relationship verse 14 there, like you said, if, if people have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, you're going to have confusion, you're going to have problems. And so if, sometimes I've, I've come across people, Max, and I know you have too, where, where it's, it's always them plus one. They're always in a fight with somebody. Okay. But the, it's sometimes the person doesn't just stop and assess. Um, yeah, I've got all this conflict and all these problems with other people. Hmm. Maybe I've got problems with jealousy and selfish ambition. And the, the problem isn't really all these other people. The problem is with me. So, you know, we have to do that self-assessment. And I think James 3 is that mirror to look into the soul and say, okay, here's the real problem. And so if we want to have that culture in the church and the culture, the culture is going to start in our hearts. And uh, again, that positive way, like you said, is to, is to say, okay, we're going to create a culture of peace in verse, uh, you know, verses 17 and 18 there of James 3, tell us how to create that. It's going to have to first be pure then peaceable, willing to yield, all of those things. That's You want to create it, that's what we got to plant, and you'll have a harvest of peace and righteousness. Well, you're right. You know, for a, a, a number of years, uh, the Dallin Road Church, it was known as Pinecrest at that time, we had a radio broadcast, and sometimes people would call in something they knew was like throwing a... a gasoline on a fire they would call in with something just to stir up controversy and mm -hmm. uh and 
And I realize there's a place for asking a question that causes people to think. But sometimes some of the stuff that I see online is you're not asking people to think. You're asking people to argue about That's something. it. That's it. And, uh, and, and that happens sometimes in Bible class. Uh, I will tell you, it has been years since someone has done something like that at Dowland Road in our Bible classes. Years. Uh, we simply don't do that in our Bible classes. We're there to learn God's will and not to throw not to throw a, a firebrand into the midst of a, a bunch of people and 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 start a controversy. Uh, we have tried hard to to promote a culture of peace. We're not always successful with that. We sometimes have to deal with controversial uh, people. Uh, and more often than not, it is over a matter of judgment and not over a matter of faith. Uh, listen, Dallin Road Church, uh, I don't know how much people in our in who are watching this tonight, I don't know how much they know about Dallin Road, but we stand for truth at Dallin Road. And I, I suppose everyone says they stand for truth, mm -hmm. but we stand for truth. But we we do not cater to the man who wants to just bring up a, a pointless and needless controversy. And uh, I would say one more thing. We do not invite speakers to come and address the Dallin Road Church who are just firebrands among the brethren and uh, who are lightning rods wanting to say shocking things to people and getting people all stirred up. We don't, we don't invite those people because we are about a culture of peace, a culture of love, a culture that stands militant, militantly upon the word of God. And I, I know what I'm saying right now, there are people who are going to be upset with that, but we're, we're not looking to just have fights within our congregation and have people divided. We're looking to teach the world the gospel of Jesus, and we're looking to have our people at Dallin Road to be people of peace, people who love the Lord Jesus, who whose lives are conformed to be, conformed to the image of God's Son. That's Romans 8, 29. Um, and so what we've tried to do tonight in our study, and, and I know we've gone on maybe a little longer than we should, but we have cultural issues today that are impacting local churches, and we are trying to answer those cultural issues. That's what we've been about tonight. And so much of what we face today is due to the digital revolution. And in some quarters, in the minds of many people, churches have been replaced by online religious teaching. And so that's why we've tried tonight to give an answer to that, that our local assemblies ought to be places of love and peace, of strong teaching of God's word. And our local assemblies should be, we're, we're trying to create something that cannot be created in the online world. That's 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 been the objective of our lesson tonight. Yeah. And so that's what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to engage those around us. And so that's where you, you're going to try to do that in your own life. Pray for God to show you how to do that in your own circle, how to engage. And and these things are true. Like you said, they're, they're true in any culture. You know, except for okay, technology. These these principles we're talking tonight are true no matter when. If we're talking about the times of Adam and Eve, or the times of Jesus, or the times in which we're living, the things we're teaching are timeless. Okay, and so we have to we have to follow those principles, and God will bless us for that. 
Now, that's a promise. God will bless the church that does that. God will bless the church that stands on the truth and loves one another and creates a culture of peace and a family environment. God will bless that church. God will bless a church that Prov, uh, provides for future leadership and equips the saints for ministry, God will bless that church because they're doing what God designed them to do. So if you're seeking connection, uh, you're here in the in the, Be the Beaumont area, uh, pray that you'll reach out to us. Uh, we would love to study with you. We would love to talk with you. We'd love to sit down at a coffee shop or at a kitchen table and talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so feel free to reach out to us. If you're watching on Facebook, please put a, a comment there and uh, we would love to study with you. And again, if you're in some community in some other place, seek that connection. God desired you and wired you for connection. So as you reach out to God, you must also reach out to people because God designed you to be that. So thank you, Max, uh, for those great uh, well, words from God's word. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Aaron, uh, your summary has been valuable. You know, almost everything we've said tonight, these were that they strove for in the first century church. Well, I think the only thing uh, that you maybe could take away or eliminate from tonight's discussion that they didn't have in the first century was to create the powerful online presence. But they mm -hmm. did they did use whatever was at their means. Uh, like Paul said, I've taught you publicly and from house to house. But in the first century, personal relationships were important. So that's why today we want to elevate personal relationships. In the first century church, they love people in the church and out of the church. That's what we want to do today. In the first century, they had wonderful worship services. That's what we want today. In the first century, they created a culture of serving within the local church. That's what we try to do today. They prioritize young people, bringing them the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's what we do today. And they certainly wanted a culture of peace. And listen, I hope that my remarks that I've made tonight are not judged as so or attacking anyone intended to do that. I'm just saying we can do better than we've done. Yeah. Uh, we can we can be at peace. We can love one another and we can have wonderful worship services. And that will appeal to the people who are watching on the line. They'll they'll want to come and be a part of us. Amen. All right, brother. That's all That's all I have to say. <laughs> all right. Well, amen to what you said. And why don't you uh, lead us in a, in a word of prayer, Max? Thank you. Father, we pray that indeed everyone within the sound of our voice tonight who has viewed this webcast, that they will strive to build a culture of peace, a culture of love in the local church, uh, a culture of evangelism, and a culture of caring for one another, culture of caring for you, and that we will we will present to the world a unified front where the people of the world are drawn to Jesus because of the conduct of his people. Bless us to that end, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And thanks for joining us for today's podcast. If you have any questions, feel free to email me at Aaron. That's A-A-R-O-N at shepherdingtalk.com. Thanks and have a wonderful day.